G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor. You there, Hunty? Yes, mate, I am. <clears throat> I'm a little bit nervous today. Same. I haven't even welcomed everybody yet, the no. reason being... <laughs> <laughs> I'll welcome you in a minute, listeners. The reason being is Hunty's over in uh, Richmond and I'm in uh, Riverston. I'm in the studio. We're in, we're in separate studios today. We are. Why is that, Why It's is that, all my fault. I'm here with all my friends, which is no one. Um, I might or might not be a close contact or I may or may not have COVID. Or you may or may not have the flu. Yeah, exactly. But what's, take note. What's... What's scaring me, bro, yes. is that in the lead up to this program with the music playing, yes. there were two dropouts oh. in five minutes. Oh dear, oh dear. So if I drop out, you're on, you're on your own. Yep, man. I'll put you on the phone if we drop out. So let's welcome yeah. our listeners. Uh, we're going to welcome them, Marvin. We are. Good day, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're really glad you can join us today. In Sydney, it's not a great day. It's trying to, sun's trying to get out, but it's cold and it's a bit miserable. We were filming yesterday for our internet television programs. It was just downright miserable, huh? It was indeed. We got so. We went, well, we went across the ferry. Yep. Man, how bad was that? It was, yeah. it was huge seas going across to Manny from, um, Circular Quay. Well, yeah, huge seas. A metre or two. Lover like you. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been hard-breathed being a metre. <laughs> we were getting seas. Oh, Hunty was getting seas. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, but it was raining and it was pouring. You know, this this uh, summer uh, and then into autumn, I have never seen rain like this in my life mm. in Australia. Mm, me too. I was saying to Hunty the other day, I'm pretending I live in New Zealand again. Because yep. in Auckland, where I used to live, it used to rain all the time like this. But, yep. uh, man, it's awful weather, really awful. We're looking forward to La Nina leaving us and getting us back to normal, beautiful Aussie winter sunshine. Usually this is a sunshine time for us. I know, right? But not, not at the moment. Hey, um, we got a good program, Hunty? We do. I'm supposed to have two guests in the studio with me this afternoon. But I rang them. Two great guests. I rang them and I said, who wants to roll the dice and come into the diseased, infected studio? And um, both of them said that they have taken their chances with COVID enough times this year and they'll be happy to be zoomed in. <laughs> Are they both going to come into the studio or just one? Uh, was at least one was going to come, so... Ah, anyway, okay. there's no one. It's just me on my own today in the studio. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, so who are our guests, though? Because they're still they're still coming in. It's just that we're not getting them into the so studio. Probably uh, Faith FM's prime presenter, Lyle Southwell. We've managed to snag him for an interview this afternoon, and we've snagged one of the big bosses, Robbie Bergen. Yeah, I actually like talking to Robbie. And now, now you're talking about Lyle being the big time presenter. What do you mean by that? Well, he does drive time in the morning. He's got the ah. premier the premier program. Five five mornings a week, I think. Yes. He gets up at four in the morning. That would be tough going, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, Ray Hadley gets up at... Ray Hadley's at the studio at three. Ray Hadley's there at three for... Even though he doesn't start till nine. That's right. He does six hours of prep every day. With his team or...? Yeah, with his team. Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So, yep. So, Lyle, certainly, uh, we're grateful to have him on the program this afternoon. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, and Ask the Aussie Pastor, is that on? Yes, and we still have some space for some more questions. So if you would like to send your questions to Ask the Aussie Pastor, it's a great segment where Pastor Lloyd will literally take any question you want to ask him and he'll have a crack at it. Now, if he can't answer it, he will... He will get back to you, but you will get an answer. So if you want to send us a question, there's two ways to send them. You can text them to us on 488 or you can email them to us. And the email address is info at aussiepastor.com. Yeah, so we're glad you're here today, listeners. We're, gonna, we're going to have a good program. We're looking forward to it very much. We've got some beautiful music, uh, good guests. Before we go, I'd just like to pray, so let's have a prayer. Lord Jesus, just be with us today. As we get into this radio show, I pray, God, that your name will be lifted up and people will see you as a great God you are. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This first song's a beauty, hunty. Yep. You know, my earphones, I'm listening to you, yeah. they are just gum. Haywire. Oh, I don't know whether it's because they're not working properly oh, or what's dear. going on. Turn them off and just use I, your computer. I have got all sorts of noises going through these yeah, headphones. Yeah, kill, kill them and just use your computer speaker. That'd be fine. Well, we'll, we'll put up a bit more, mate, and see how it goes, because I know you like the sound out of these. I do like the sound, yes. This first song, We Know Not The Hour, yep. two things. Yep. Number one, it's one of my favourite songs wow. ever. Wow. Talking about we don't know the hour when Jesus will come. He's coming. He's coming real soon. But we don't know the hour when he will come. And the second part of this song, I don't know this guy, Samwabo Gilo. He's singing from South Africa, Yep. but from what I can make out, and I could be corrected and way wrong on this, I suspect he's from Zambia. Okay. But he has the most beautiful voice, and this is a great song. We know not the hour from Sonwa Bogila from, let's say, Hunty, somewhere in Africa. Yep. The master's appearing, yet signs of foretell that that moment is nearing, that he shall return is a promise most cheering, but we know. In the book of the Lord's revelation, his prophecy falls to a great consolation. But we know not the hour. He will come, he will come. Let us watch and be ready. Jesus will come, he will come, hallelujah. 
Good song. I I reckon he sounds a little bit like Aaron Neville. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's. I don't know whether you know Aaron Neville. He's yeah, a singer out of the United yeah. States. I should, watch the, be- I should watch the video clip of We Know while I was um, just testing the song earlier this afternoon. Yeah. Looks like a very beautiful spiritual man. Yeah, he is. He is, and he's got some beautiful songs. And we'll hear a bit more from him over the next few weeks. I've just discovered him. I discovered him through my associate pastor, who's from Africa, uh-huh. over that way. So we can yeah. blame Pastor Fred for this. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, nice. beautiful music. Nice. Really enjoy that. Um, the news has been really interesting this week. Hasn't it? We've had a change of government, but I didn't think we'd talk about that. Nah, I don't want to talk about that. Um, it's just uh, politics and yeah, that, that wheel just keeps going around. That's right. But we do have a new, if you're listening to this from overseas, we do have a new Prime Minister here in Australia. There are some people really happy about that, other people not so happy, and a lot of us just ambivalent yep. about that. Yep. <laughs> Aussies tend to be a bit ambivalent about uh, politics. True. But change of Prime Minister or not, petrol prices are still on the rise, mate. Oh, terrible. I paid $2.10 the other day, 98 Now... I found in other places in the city, because we've got a cheap servo. We do. One of the cheapest, actually. Kudos to that dude out there. Yes. We really appreciate him. Yes. Uh, he He's consistently one of the cheapest in Sydney, and he just lives up the road from us. So, Hunty yeah. and I are constantly looking for when fuel's down. Yep. Um, and I read this article this morning, actually, in the paper. How how much further are petrol prices going to go? Because we may pay a $2.10 here, but there's people around Sydney paying $2.40 for 
plus yep. for 98. Yeah, terrible. And we use 98 because it's best fuel. Other places in Australia, you have a mate going around Australia, aren't you? And he's, what's he paying? Yeah, he put $500 into his Land Cruiser the other day. He runs diesel and he has an extra long-range tank. But he posted a photo of the petrol bows and I looked and I went, oh, that's got to hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I've got a tiny little um, Mazda that I run around in 2001. It cost me 80 bucks, $80 to fill up the other day and I didn't fill it up. It was already... <laughs> Already a third full hunting. Well, my my I mean, car my car runs on diesel and does a thousand k's a tank, and so I look for the cheap day and I look for it and I look for it. <laughs> and you're running out of cheap days, aren't you, brother? That's right, absolutely. <laughs> he's telling me the other day his tank's getting lower, low. lower <laughs> yes. as he's looking for these <laughs> cheap days. Is there any way of us knowing how far these petrol prices are going to go? I mean, how far can they go? Well, oil went up ten dollars a barrel, I think, overnight last night. So it's just going to keep going up, up until we get some sort of a until a break. Yeah, until people say enough's enough and start catching public transport, and then the people who are selling oil by the barrel, once they start going backwards, prices will come down. <sighs> I think I don't know whether it'll be catching public transport that'll do it in, my friend. I think it'll be more people going broke, and there are increasingly numbers of businesses around Australia struggling, and at the core of it is the cost of transport and fuel. Yeah. This is a country, this is a yep. big country, it's a large country, and it goes nowhere except on the back of transport and fuel. And so probably it's going to impact us more than most other nations, and we indeed do face, when it comes to petrol prices, uh, troubled times. And you yeah. were saying, Hunty, that, that you think uh, electricity's going up as well. I, I suspect it could almost double in the next few weeks. Well, yeah, we don't want to hear that. We don't. They're saying 85% increases. Is that passed on to us at the... Yes. Sadly, home? yes. I wonder whether it will be. If it I, is, think they, I think we've had capped prices for poles and wires for a long time, and that cap unlocks itself June 30. Okay. Hold on. Hold on, Hold people. On. That's it. This other one, mon- monkeypox virus spreads oh, around, and it's in Australia too. Terrible. Uh, yeah. It's it, like a- it, it, it's just another one of these viruses that seems to be popping its head up, hunty, yes, wherever yes. you look around the world. It's been around for a while. It's like chicken pox. It, the pictures I saw of it, it looked a bit worse than oh, chicken yes, pox. It is worse, but it's in that family of, oh, okay. I think, sexually transmitted diseases that will also go between species. I think we can give it to our cats and dogs and they can spread it through the wildlife. So is it only sexually transmitted, you think? No, 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 sure? no. It's transmitted. A lot of ways. Okay, so are we safe from it? Nope. They, nope. Well, they reckon most human beings are actually. Really? Fairly, yeah, fairly safe from and it. I've been reading. I've been reading the alarmist media then. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you to keep getting off that uh, conspiracy theory yeah, stuff, Auntie. Yeah, You'll have to wean yourself I off. I should. <laughs> I was just reading um, this morning actually that it's not the same th- type of threat that, say, COVID was oh, to goodness. the population. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Although I think there's about a hundred now worldwide that have got it, and it's certainly ringing some alarm bells. And then you look at this again. You know, all these things from that today are signs that tell us that the world is struggling, yep. and that we may see Jesus come soon. Yep. The U.S. has said, President Biden. I heard him. He was unequivocal. Yep. If China attacks Taiwan, America will respond militarily. Well, this isn't a new policy. They've had that, that flag's been planted in the ground for quite some time. 
Not really. Really? No. America has had an ambiguous policy. Oh. And, and well, I'm, done is, from, I'm done from two this afternoon. I might hand this section over to Lyle. I just see he's arrived. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, they've been quite ambiguous in the past. This is the first time an American president has ever come out and said very clearly that if China attacks Taiwan, he will respond militarily. Actually, of course sorry, so we actually got Lyle on later to talk about the US in Bible prophecy. Are you there, Lyle? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, mate, we look we look forward to what you have to say on that. I think that will definitely tie in with the question on what will the US do if, uh, you know, things break down further. Well, you probably should talk to, I think you've got Robbie coming on at some stage too, don't you? Yeah, we do. Well, I think he lived in Taiwan, didn't he? Oh, that'll be handy. Yeah, we'll I, think, I think so. Yeah, we'll ask so. him for sure. You, you, need yeah. ask, you know, he'd yeah. ask Robbie. Yep. I think we'll do that. We'll ask him. And, yes. and, and yeah, it is good to have you on board, Lyle. Oh, it's fantastic to be here, guys. <laughs> Did you want to respond to that? Uh, Biden saying that America will attack if China... Is that... You, you've got an American wife. You've spent some time there, I think. Is that right, in the US? Yeah, I spent about three and a half years in the States. Um, and so you are correct. This is the first time that a US president has actually stated that. We've mm. always wondered whether that would be the case, and they've always hinted that that would be the case. And so there's always been an assumption that that would be the policy, but it's the first time they've actually stated that particular policy. And, you know, it's just it's just wars and rumours of wars. You know, the Bible says this is what we should expect, wars, rumours of wars, pestilences, diseases uh, in, in various places. These are signs that Jesus is coming back soon. Mm. Actually, what I found interesting about that is listening to you there, this is not the first time Biden said this. And I think this might be the second or third time he's actually said yes, if, or the second time, is it, that if China attacks Taiwan, America will respond militarily. The first time they wipe it out is saying, oh, well, he's getting old and he doesn't know what he's... This time, they're starting to say, oh, maybe he does know, he is cognate of what he's saying, and this is real, and America is changing policy. It's interesting anyway, isn't it, to watch these things? Um, it certainly mm, is. Mm. And this last one's for you, Hunty. Oh, I yeah. told you a good news story. Oh, I know yeah. how you love Vegemite. Oh, yes. Flavoured Vegemite baked beans. Oh, I can't, good, I that, can't wait. Is that a good news story? Oh, it's a good news story for me, mate. I love my baked beans and I love my Vegemite. <laughs> well, I have to say, I don't uh, mind Vegemite. How do you find Vegemite, Lyle? Yeah, I'm fine with Vegemite. I'm fine with baked beans. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering about, you know, I'm just wondering about the, the, the uh, Marmite the marmite flavoured smells that this might create. Yeah, I was thinking well, I'll you're in a car by yourself, mate, with a very small you, I'll cab. tell you what, moving you, two, moving you two on straight away. Beans, beans um, and musical fruit. I'm a, I'm a marmite fan. I'm a marmite fan. Yeah, me too. Marmite. Me too. I, 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 I prefer marmite. Yeah, me too. Nothing wrong with Vegemite. I just find no, it's a little, no little bit salty. Um, and I, I'm not... Is that a good news story or is that an it's end of the world? It's a great news story because it also we, we, get to, story. we get to promote sanitarium who make, <laughs> who make Marmite, so that's a good thing as well. I think Kraft do Vegemite. Okay. I think this might be a Signs of the Times one. I'm, yes. just, yeah, I'm oh. just thinking it might be a Signs of the Times one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All righty. Well, when you, see, when you see these things happening, the petrol prices on the rise, the monkeypox, yes. the virus is spreading out everywhere. Uh, the wars and the rumours of wars all over the place. You can't help but look up, look up to the east, because soon Jesus will come. Um, you're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM.
This next song, Hunty, Sheltered in the Arms of God. Love it. Yeah, it is. And this guy's a beautiful singer. I think he's a tenor. You correct me on this, Hunty. Okay. I, I think he, listen to him and at the end of the song, tell us sure. what it is. But I reckon he's a tenor. It is a beautiful song. And as you go through the rough times that are ahead of us in the world, as we experience firsthand the signs of the times, all these things that are happening that are dark and are negative and a bit scary, this song and this promise from Jesus from the Bible is going to become extra special to us. Sheltered in the Arms of God by Carol Robertson. I feel the touch of hands so kind and tender. Is that a tenor? Oh, you 
what? Embarrassingly, I was licking my wounds, looking at tech. I didn't really listen. <laughs> For our listeners who are interested in what goes on behind the scenes, Hunty had a little two or three minute air, two or three second air gap. There. I was I was hit by the fickle finger of fate. Those air gaps are are a no-no, aren't they, for you? Well, if you listen to this on on a repeat, you won't hear it because I always remove any mistakes. (laughs) Well, just so our listeners will know who are listening on the repeat, there was an air gap there. There was an air gap. (laughs) Hey, guess what? Uh, I like like stirring you. I know you're trying to move us on here. (laughs) You know Um, it. Lyle, are you there, buddy? (laughs) Save me. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here loud and clear. (laughs) Uh, We like it when Hunty uh, um, has a bit of a battle there. He's actually a bit of a perfectionist. Did you know that, Lyle? Actually, I'm not surprised that you say that. I've worked with Hunty a few times in the past, and, yeah, a little bit of that comes through from time to time. (laughs) Well, right is the best way to do anything. That's right. And I'm about as far from a perfectionist as you can get. So you can imagine what it would be like working with us two sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) We tend to balance each other out. We do. Don't we? We do. Hey, Lyle, I want to welcome you to our program today. You are the early morning presenter on Faith FM. What is it, five five mornings a week? Yes, five days a week, uh, seven till nine, we're on doing the breakfast show. So Hunty was telling me that uh, um, the 2GB guy, what's his name, Hunty? Ray Hadley. Ray Hadley is up at three in the morning. Is that your game too? No, he starts an hour earlier than me, so I'm up at 4.30. Ah, okay. Okay. So you get up at four thirty. Is most of the work done for the morning show? Is that done? And, and that's we're talking on the morning show here on Faith FM. Is that done the day before, or do you do it in the morning before you? It was a little bit of both. Well, the stories in particular that we cover on the breakfast show really have to be stories that broke in the news yeah. overnight, because yeah. people don't want to hear about something they heard on the news last night. You know, when they were having their dinner or heading off to bed or whatever. They want to hear something that is that is new, and so we like to. And of course, you know, we cover stories that have a particular religious focus, yep. and so um, that's a fairly niche market to be searching in for stories. And so, yeah, it does mean you've got to get up and, and find those stories and find out what happened overnight and get them ready and get them ready to present. Do you do that yourself, or do you have a team that's researchers? How does that work? No, I do the I do all of my own research. Okay, so when you present. If you haven't seen the morning show, it's what, 7 till 9 every morning, is that correct? That's right, yep. Yep, on this station, Faith FM. Is it just you or do you have a, someone doing it? No, I've got you? a co-host. I have a co-host and uh, my co-host, he does the uh, positively different news um, and I cover the more serious subjects. Okay, but you work together like you're talking together and... Yeah, like you and Auntie, you know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> does, he, does he leave air gaps too or have you... Or someone else. Does, does he listen? No, well, there's never, never any air gaps on the breakfast. So we never, ever make those kind of um, mess-ups like the uh, Aussie pastor does. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to look at our producer, I think. <laughs> hey, nah. um, hey, it's live radio, so, you know, anything that happens in live radio, everybody gets to hear, so that's just part of the fun of it. We're actually very blessed to have Hunty, um, who helps us out. Um, I know that. He's one of the better techies around, there's no doubt about that. Look, I got you on because not only are you the host of the breakfast show, you're into prophecy. I've known that for some time. You like to preach and teach prophecy, am I right? Yes. Just now, finished a uh, series up at Coffs Harbour, and so I was in Coffs Harbour this morning. I'm in Sydney this afternoon, and hopefully back in Newcastle to go to bed tonight. 
Wow. How, how long was your programming cost? Uh, we did it over two long weekends. Okay. So we... Well, then, you, were, uh, you were doing your radio program from Coffs on the Monday morning? No, actually, what happened was that my former co-host, Monica, was in Newcastle and offered to fill in for me. So, um, yeah, I, I just just had okay. uh, somebody fill in for me and away we went. Oh, you've been having a little break. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the United States and prophecy for two reasons. One, you are into prophecy. Secondly, you have a wife who's American. You know a fair bit about America. Um, obviously, it's a big subject, and when we can only scratch it at the edge here. And perhaps what we could do is, uh, listeners, if you're interested, we could create uh, a little interest with you. We could point you in the right direction at the conclusion of this uh Interview. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions on prophecy and America, if that's sure. all right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some people might find this surprising, but is, the, is America, is the United States of America, is it actually mentioned in prophecy? And if so, where? Absolutely. So you've got about half a chapter in the middle of the book of Revelation. Probably the single most pivotal chapters of Revelation is 12, 13, and 14, right in the center of that. Um, about half of chapter 13 focuses on the United States. Uh, how do we even know when we look at the prophecy that it is the United States being identified? And I ask that question because, um, Lyle, I actually listen to a lot of, I, uh, what do they call them, Hunty? I, podcasts. Um, what are they? Podcasts. podcasts. Yeah. Podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of religious television on YouTube. You're getting some weird and wacky stuff out there in prophecy. How do you know when you, and by the way, what pro, you're talking Revelation what? Chapter Revelation 13. Yep, Revelation chapter 13. Okay, so the two most important, whenever you are um, trying to understand a symbolic prophecy about a nation, and of course here you've got the symbol of a beast, a beast that rises out of the earth with two horns, the Bible says, um, that is here in this particular prophecy. And so a beast in Bible prophecy, the Bible says, is a nation. Um, And so we've got a nation that is rising to power. And so whenever you're looking at a nation in prophecy, the two, the two most important, the two most, the two key ingredients that you need is like grid references on a map is to be able to identify time and place. And this is where nearly everyone comes unstuck when it comes to Bible prophecy. They don't establish from the Bible the time frame that the Bible is giving for the rise of this particular nation or the geographical location. And so, you know, they might look at it and then, uh, you know, and just sort of, and, and instead of using time and place, they'll, they'll, they'll use the principle of looks like, sounds like. And when you go with looks like, sounds like, where well, you can come up with the most wild interpretations that are even, you know, imaginable. Um, you know, I, I, I was studying with somebody one time and, and they told me that the four-headed leopard was, uh, of, of Daniel chapter 7 was Germany because Germany has leopard tanks, you know, and I was just like, <laughs> wow, that's pretty creative right there and really, really stretching for it. Um, that's not how you identify Bible prophecy. You need to establish the time period in which the nation rises to power from the Bible and then the geographical location. And on those two identifying characteristics alone, you can identify the United States. Now, there's a whole bunch more identifying characteristics there, but you only need those two. Those two mm. will give you the United States every single time. Actually, the Bible using beasts for to represent nations is something we do too because you've got the, the Aussies or the kangaroos and the Kiwis and the, the British with the lion. And so this is not a 
a strange sort of a concept the Bible is using to identify nations, correct? No, and it, and it was it was the same back in back in the day when the Bible was written. Um, you know, lots of nations were symbolised by animals. It was yeah. nothing nothing uncommon about it today. Nothing uncommon about it back then. Okay, so as Revelation thirteen is talking partly about the United States of America, um, and of course we can only go into this lightly today. Is the United States in prophecy? Is it a positive or a negative power? You know, it has a little bit of both. It's a bit schizophrenic mm. because the Bible says it has two horns like a lamb. Okay, lamb is a symbol of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. so we know that we're dealing with a Christian nation here. But then it says, and it speaks like a dragon. And okay. we know that the dragon, you know, the dragon is a symbol of Satan. There's a symbol of Satan working through Imperial Rome. And so we you know the United States is going to speak like Imperial Rome spoke. Um, and so, yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, and when you look at the United States, you have this, this kind of schizophrenic kind of personality disorder that we all scratch our heads at where we see on one hand, a lot of Christianity and a lot of good things and a lot of positive things. And on the other hand, the worst of the worst when it comes to morality coming out of that country. Yeah. It is a bit schizophrenic. That's, I've never thought of it like that. So, so when the Bible describes the United States of America as a lamb, it's going back to its Christian roots. Is, is that on? That's right. That's right. And so it, uh, the Bible is not saying it's going to end up as a lamb. Uh, the Bible says that it's going to end up with the dragon predominating. So the Bible's saying here America starts Christian and ends up anti-Christian? Is that? Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a fair comment. That's why it's described as roaring like a dragon. And this is one of the reasons why you find that a lot of people today give up on religion because they look at religion and they look at Christianity in particular because, you know, we're talking about the United States, so let's talk about Christianity. And they see the corruption that there is in religion and the corruption that there is in Christianity. And they're just like, well, you know, I don't want to have anything to do. I'll be a spiritual person, but I don't want to have anything to do with religion. And too often as Christians, we jump in to try and defend Christianity when we should just simply stand up and say, yes, we live with the expectation that religion will become corrupt at the end of time. And if religion wasn't becoming corrupt and turning people off, um, at the end of time, then Bible prophecy would not be being fulfilled. Is that why the Bible prophecy describes America in the end roaring like a dragon? Yes, absolutely. And it also uh, includes the fact that this will you know, be a superpower, a world superpower. In fact, it describes the United States as the last superpower. Now, this is a really important point to get in the time that we live right now. Because, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, we've been starting to see the cracks forming in the United States. We know that every world empire, and let's face it, America is a world empire, um, has its, has its day in the sun and then it disappears. You know, before the American empire, you had the British empire, you know, and you can go all the way back through history through the various empires that have dominated the world. Um, and, and they all have their time in the sun and then they all grow wealthy and collapse and corrupt and fall apart. And when you see it starting to take in, take place in the last superpower, that tells us something. You, know, you see, you see China starting to flex its muscle. You see some of these other big, uh, nations from around the world. Um, India starting to flex its muscle and so forth. These are, these are very powerful nations. And you start to say, say, well, you know, where's the, Where's the next one going to come? Are we going to live to see the next empire? No, we won't see to live to the next empire because the Bible says America is the last one. 
So you're saying that the United States of America is the last great superpower. So when people talk about China's going to take out America or India or or Russia, your response is no? Is that absolutely correct? not. Absolutely not. It will not. We can will have it? absolute confidence that it will not. Now, that's not necessarily... That's not necessarily good news, yeah. Because I think that you know we, we sit here in in, uh, in in Western society and we say, oh, that's good. You know, China, you know, communism is not going to take over the world. Chinese communism is not going to take yeah, over the world. Yeah. Uh, America is going to hang in there as the last superpower until the end. Actually, it's not good news. Yeah, because why of the corruption. Because of the corruption, the Bible says that will come into the United States. Is that why she roars like a dragon? Is it the corruption? Yeah. That's right. There was the corruption. It's the power, um, the, the flexing of power. The you know the con- the, the, the controlling influence on the world. Um, all of that combined together. Do you think the flexing of power, and, and we're talking now in a, a negative sense, power by the United States of America in the end? Do you think that's a military? Is it military symbolic there, or is it financial, or is it a bit of both? How do you see that? Yeah, all of the above. So America is one of the biggest um, economies in the world, obviously. Um, an incredibly fragile economy while they're printing money at the rate that they're printing it right now. Yeah. Uh, but they are, you know, the most powerful economy that there is in the world. They're also the most powerful military by far in the world. And, yeah. you know, we, we talk about the fact that, um, you know, China's rising to power, but as far as, as far as actual destructive power goes, they are nowhere near close to the United States. And you're saying probably won't ever be before we see the world end and Jesus come. Is that correct? Yeah, that's well. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the United States will be the last superpower. So even if China gets more military power, they won't be the superpower. Does the United States have a a place at the end of time? A purpose? Why have they got all this power? Corrupt, is it just about being corrupt, or is there more more to it? Is there something else going on behind? The yeah. Scene? So the Bible, the Bible says the Bible indicates the United States will have a religious agenda, okay, and that it will be driven by a religious agenda. And this is this is a little bit concerning because, well, it's actually very concerning because when you look at you know, you flick on your TV and you see all of these people standing up and saying that they're anointed by the Holy Spirit, and then you here's some pretty crazy things and scary stuff coming out of their mouths. Mm. Uh, and, you know, the average person on the street who looks at that on their TV screen is like, you know, this is, this is, uh, this is, this is just becoming incredibly corrupt and it's just all about money and religion has nothing to do with spirituality. It's about making a few, you know, TV evangelists rich and politicians put in power. But the Bible says that the United States will form a union of church and state and that it will enforce uh, religious morality on the world, which is kind of bizarre when you think about the U.S. Constitution, that kind of yeah. modern age invented freedom of religion. Yeah, that is amazing. So you're, you're saying that the United States will try to enforce a certain type of religion on the world, a, a certain way of worship, or is it just... How, I'm just trying to tease that out a little bit. Sure. So the uh, the issue, which is uh, repeated five times in the space of twelve verses in Revelation thirteen, is the issue of worship. Okay. So Revelation thirteen is all about worship, and true worship uh, comes down to obedience. The highest form of worship is obedience, and who you actually worship is defined not by what you say, but by what you actually do. Who you actually obey. 
Yeah. And so when the United States enforces worship, the question is, okay, do I obey, obey the United States? In which case, then, you know, and of course the religious coalition that they are building, obviously with the first beast of Revelation chapter 13, um, you know, if I am obeying them over God, that means that I have placed them highest in my life and I am worshipping them rather than God. But, you know, true worship is the complete giving of yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the person that you are most giving yourself to is the one that you will obey. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm hearing you. Um, perhaps one last question, and then we might challenge our listeners. Uh, why do you think God put these prophecies in the Bible? You're a student of prophecy. What's, what are all these prophecies there for? Yeah, it's a little bit like this, you know, in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, the Bible just, you know, talks about wars, rumors of wars, signs of the, signs of the return of Christ, you know, famines, earthquakes, pestilences in different places, all of this kind of thing. And then it says, all these are the beginning of the birth pains. Mm. Now, I have a couple of kids and I now have a little baby granddaughter who is absolutely amazing. But one you of the things. You and Hunty both. Yeah, 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 yeah. Congratulations, yeah, yeah. mate. Uh, congratulations to you too. It is the best thing Isn't ever it? being a grandparent. Sure is. Um, okay. Is that because you can hand them back? <laughs> That's <laughs> part of it. <laughs> okay, but think about this. Think about going through the birth process and you know nothing about what is about to take place. Um, think about it from this perspective of maybe as a listener you're a woman. And you know, you know, suddenly you start to put on weight and after a while you figure out you're pregnant, but you know nothing. Nobody ever tells you anything. I mean, we went to prenatal classes when our children came along. We learned about the whole process. We got talked through it. And so when the big day came, yeah, it was a little bit scary, but it was nothing like as scary as what it would have been if we had known nothing. And so when Jesus describes it as being but like the birth pains, that's why he is telling us, the prophecy beforehand so that when we go through it, we can rest in absolute security because, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in our world right now that I just despair of, Lloyd. Yeah. And, and yeah. I just despair. I'm like, stop the world. I just mm. want to get off. Yep. This yep, place is not my home. I don't want to mm. have anything to do with it. Mm, me too. And then I read my Bible and says, okay, I should live in the expectation that the world would be like this and like this and like this just before Jesus comes back. And if it wasn't like that, then Jesus wouldn't be coming back and that would be discouraging. And so these are all these prophecies are given to us so that we can have security, so that we don't have to fear, so that we can understand, we can know what's going on, and you know we can read the end of the book. You know, people talk to me about everything going on in the book. And I look, I'm like, look, I've read the end of the book. Yeah. It finishes really, really well, nice. and I can't <laughs> wait for it. Uh, I think that's so, an important point, isn't it? Prophecy tells us what's coming. And it assures us that there's a good ending to this story when at the moment it doesn't look like there, there, there will be. Yeah, it takes, it takes the fear away. Yeah. And, and of course it reveals Jesus and that's why that's we right. love it. So and, much. And, and this is, and this is, you know, it shows that in the insanity that's going on in our world right now, the God hasn't forgotten our world yeah. and he's still in control. Yeah. He knew this would happen. He told us this would happen. And so ultimately he's still in control and he's going to bring it to an end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, look, thank you, Lyle, for um, coming on board. And I know you're very busy and I really appreciate that and I know you love prophecy. Um, if you'd like to know more about this particular prophecy and more, I want to encourage you to 
text or Hunty, I'm text or email us. Um, text or email the word prophecy to us, and you can text yeah. it to us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email the word prophecy to us info at aussiepastor.com and we will send you out a really relevant and interesting Bible study on this great book. What we'll do is we'll send you out a link actually. Yeah, we can, will. Mm. You can click on that link and it'll take you to, through through to a series of lessons which are specifically on these prophecies found in the books of Daniel and Revelation. And I'll tell you what, if you've never done them before, you'll be surprised at a couple of things. One, how simple they are to do, how simple it is to understand the Bible. And the thing that amazes me is how as you study the prophecies, you go, yeah, 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 that's happening even right now. Mm-hmm. And it does give you assurance and it does give you a, a little glimpse into the future and you know Jesus is going to win and so it's a good ending. So one more time, Hunty, those details. Certainly. You can text the word prophecy to us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email the word prophecy to us and the email address is info at aussiepastor.com. And we'll get that link back to you. Thanks, Lyle. Thanks, Lyle. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Been see you next time. Be on, on, on with the Aussie pastor. Thanks, bud. And uh, Hundy. See ya. We'll, we'll see you next time. You're listening to the Aussie pastor here on Faith FM. I got hit by a sting there, Hunty, that's not in the program. No, it's not in the program. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, okay. Fair enough. So those stings are just coming in I anyway. Just, I just let them roll whatever I feel the urge. <laughs> Fantastic. This next song, Jesus Save Your Pilot Me, is from an Adventist man again. Yes. The same guy. Same guy. Son Wabo Gilo. Yes. I actually asked Pastor Fred, do you know this guy? He doesn't know him. Okay. But he has the most incredible voice, and I chose this song. Now, he's singing it, and I think he's singing it in one of the African languages. Swahili, perhaps? Don't know. Don't know. know. But I'll tell you the words of the song, and then you can listen to his beautiful voice and this beautiful God-inspired music. Yes. The words of the voice go like, uh, the words of the song go like this, and I think it's really appropriate with the prophecies that we just looked at with Lyle, you know? Yep. And by the way, look, if you didn't, say we're, we went right over your head with all, all that stuff, the prophecy. Don't even worry about that. Get hold of us. Yes. We will send you the link. I can guarantee you, you will understand the prophecy. If I can, anybody can. Yep, me too. Yep. But this song, listen to the words, Hunty, for a second. I'm not going to sing them. Yep. We'll, 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 we'll let some Weibo do that. Yep. Jesus, Saviour, pilot me over life's tempestuous sea. Unknown waves before me roll. Hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from you, Jesus. So Jesus, Saviour, pilot me. This is a beautiful song and you'll enjoy it. Oh, 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 oh,
Beautiful song, aren't you? Absolutely. I, I really like that. Uh, mm, look, let mm. me give you the last verse because yep. it's obviously sung in a language that most of us don't understand. Although I bet you there are some African listeners out there that know that song For and sure. know, know that language. It goes like this. This is how the last verse goes. As a mother stills her child, thou, talking about Jesus, thou yep. can hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey your will when you say to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Savior, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar, talking about death, between me and peaceful rest, I will lean on you, Jesus. May you hear me say, may we hear Jesus say, I will pilot thee. Beautiful. How beautiful is that? Yeah, beautiful. Really enjoy that. Hey, Robbie Bergen, you on, mate? I think so. Yes. I think you're all right. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know that language? Uh, no. Never heard it before. Um, I have been to Africa a few times. They have used many languages around me, but it hasn't sunk in. Don't they sing beautifully? Oh, they do. Yes. Absolutely. Great harmonies. When I listen to that guy there, I almost feel like I'm in heaven. <laughs> I think that's, that's what we'll sing like in heaven. That's certainly not what Hunty. Can you sing, Robbie? Oh, I sing every day in the shower. <laughs> it's neither Hunty or I sing, although I suspect Hunty sings a little, but I don't <laughs> sing at all. I'm a disaster. I've learned, uh, I got a lot of congregations where there's singing and stuff, and they always have a mic on me, so I'm very nervous to sing anything where I have mics on in case they don't mute it or something. Yes, very worthy Hunty, concern. Hunty has got a mean spirit in him sometimes. <laughs> he, he records me singing at church and then at... End year dues that we have with the church, he'll, he then plays me and humiliates me. <laughs> yeah, I, I was listening to the show earlier and they were giving you a hard time and I was about to come on here and give you, like, defend you and stick up for you, but thank you. That, thank I, you, I, Robbie. I like to be lost, defended. Well, you've lost my credit now. That's the poor person doing that to someone. That's just cruel. Especially when you sing like me. It's, it's horrendous. But that guy can sing. He is just the most beautiful singer. And, um, I really enjoy that. Hey, glad to have you here. For those of you who don't know who Robbie is, he's the, ah, what are you, mate? What would we, what's the official position for you? I'm the host of the Faith Experiment podcast. Yeah, he is. <laughs> and also, you are one of the, um, I'm the content manager of Faith FM. Yes. How is Faith FM going, by the way? Faith FM is every day I wake up, I'm excited to wake up nice. and go to work. It's just absolutely amazing. I'm on, I'm actually on the road right now. I'm coming to you live from a little studio we've got set up in Gyra, in the sort of Tablelands area of New South Wales. Sounds good. And um, yeah, they've, they've set up an amazing little studio here. And anyway, so I'm on the road doing a road trip at the moment, and I'm doing a couple of meet the Faith FM presenters type dinners for the communities. I did one in Tamworth last weekend, and we had 140 people come along and to connect, like Faith FM listeners, connecting with uh, the show, wanting to uh, meet and greet, and we did a couple of presentations on various aspects of Bible prophecy and things like that. And i got another one coming up this Saturday night at the Armadale RSL. So if you want to come along, if you're in, if you're in the Armadale area, come along on a Saturday night. I think at 6.30 it starts. Uh, you can go on the website and find some details under faithfm.com.au slash events if you're interested. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I'm hearing all these different listeners share their stories on how they have found Jesus, how they've made decisions that have changed their lives. And it's really exciting because that's our mission. Our mission at Faith FM is to connect Australians with the life-changing, everlasting gospel. 
and I'm seeing it every single day. So it's an amazing role that, that I have and a privilege to be in it. I think one of the uh, really exciting things is that later this year you're going to be in Sydney for a yes. FM. And for the, we, we didn't realise this when we put this program together, but we are going to, praise the Lord, have you, and we're going to invite people right through Sydney to come and meet you and others from Faith FM. We're going to have a wonderful weekend. We'll tell you more about that later because I haven't even got that date on me to tell you the truth. <laughs> in July. We actually set this date two years ago for last year and then the lockdowns happened and we, it never happened. Yeah. And then we uh, rescheduled. And then now in between all of that, along comes the Western Sydney network that's now on air. So it's, it's awesome. We're going to be actually in the, in the area where the broadcast is taking place. It is. It's surreal to get in my car and turn the radio on 88.0 FM and hear Faith FM. And a little footing if I happen to hear myself on it too. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, just before we get into this, Robbie, China, Taiwan. You lived in Taiwan. I did. Almost Um, five years. What's your take on that? You think it's going to be peace or... You think oh, no, no, I don't believe in peace at all. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, and this is just me speaking um, after yep. living there, look, the Taiwanese people are very resolved to, especially the younger generation, to having complete autonomy from China. Um, they, they, they don't identify as Chinese. I mean, they are, but they're like, they identify as Taiwanese, even though yeah. it's, it's still Chinese heritage, obviously. And there are some yeah. Aboriginal cultures. There's about 11 tribes in Taiwan that also make up Taiwanese. There's a lot of Japanese influence from from back in the day, but um, there's no way that the younger generation is going to take and sort of go along with being a part of mainland China like the way Hong Kong did. Like, I mean, what happened in Hong Kong was like part one of two parts. Part two will be Taiwan for sure. Um, I've got no doubt that Taiwan will be involved in some sort of conflict in the next couple of years. I, I, I don't, look, I'm going to put it out there. This is just me. It's not biblical. It's not inspired. This is me. Yeah. I think within the next five years, we'll see Taiwan come in under China. And the reason for that is that's their policy. That's China's policy. Um, you, they've, they've been spruiking that for the last couple of years that um, by the anniversary, the 100th anniversary of the Communist Party taking over China, there'll be total reunification of the motherland. And it takes 20 years for an atrocity to be for, forgotten and forgiven. And mm-hmm. you know, I'll give you an example of uh, Tiananmen Square. 989, people don't even talk about it anymore. And so they're counting on the fact that within about 25 years before the 100th year anniversary comes up. And so I, I suspect within the next five years, we'll be seeing something happen there. And it was interesting because I saw the policy, oh, not the policy, but the statement by Biden come out yesterday. Yeah. And, um, it, like all the, like New York Times and things like that picked it up and they, they were very quick to say this seems to be a, a shift in US policy. Yeah. But uh, I noticed this morning there was some, uh, the US, uh, what is it, the White House press department, or they call themselves, they came out sort of backpedaling saying, no, 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 this doesn't reflect a actual changing official policy, even though all of the uh, news outlets took it that way when Biden said his piece yesterday. So look, it's pretty it, hard not to take it that way when this is at least the second round where Biden's come out and very clearly said, yeah, the United States of America will defend Taiwan. I mean, it's, it's ominous. I think it's ominous, and you get the sense like Russia-Ukraine is a disaster. Yeah. But if you if if um, Taiwan and China went at it, and the United States gets in it, it could dwarf that awful campaign at the moment over there in Russia and Ukraine for loss of lives. Look, in reality, if if like if, if something doesn't change in Ukraine and we don't get out of this conflict soon, if I mean what what China what Russia is doing 
to Ukraine is what China wants to do to Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It's exactly mm-hmm. it's, it's almost mirror image. Yeah, it is. The West versus the East. If if China and I, I, I said this to a lot of people when this first happened in Ukraine, China is going to sit back and see how the US handles Russia. Because if if the US jumps straight straight in against Russia with what's happening there in Ukraine, I think that would have put a sort of like, oh, well, let's have a second thought before we start our strategy with Taiwan. But the fact the US hasn't done anything, I mean, they've given money, right? They've given money, they've given ammunitions and warheads and things like that. But they haven't actually, and I don't think they should, to be honest. I don't think the US should be stepping into these sorts of wars. They've, they've got a habit of doing that. But I think on the on the flip side, it's given China sort of the um, almost the license to, to go ahead, and I think that's the context why Biden's saying what he's saying in this mm-hmm. in this quad sort of forum. But yeah, look if if it does play out, we are looking at the almost the mirror image of how World War Two started. I we think have, we're already seeing that with Ukraine and Russia. Uh, yeah, so we got the, maybe not World War Two, World War One for me. If you so look at the way World War One started and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, it's very, very similar. Yeah, but with World War Two, you had like the European theatre start, and then you had the Pacific theatre start. Yeah, okay, I see. Which was different yeah. but connected, right? And I yeah. think like with the how Japan jumped into World War Two, I think China might jump in to a World War Three sort of thing, right? And if the US does follow through with their with their current leader's sort of position, as in what Biden's saying. Then it's it's World War Two round three, which is World War Three, right? Now, let's let's hope it doesn't get that far because I don't think anyone wants to see a massive loss of property and life and all that stuff again. But we're definitely in some. It's like what Lyle said earlier. It's it's, it's the wars and rumors of wars. It's for sure. We're definitely in that space. And then you you add into that the prophecies of Daniel and the Revelation, and uh, it's very interesting and very ominous. I think. And, and that's why I, 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 that's why we do rely on sheltering in the arms of God and having Jesus as, as our pilot through these lot, troublesome times in life because we have got troubles ahead. Absolutely. I think someone once said that the troubles ahead of us are often exaggerated. Mm-hmm. But in this particular instance, talking about the end of the world, you cannot, we cannot understand or reach a place that would define clearly what we're going to face. We are in for very serious times, and if ever there is a time where you had a relationship or were considering having a relationship with Jesus Christ, now's the time. Yeah, because, I mean, we're in a space where it's... Well, we've never lived in a time in Earth's history where we have the technology that we've had before, and, like, what we saw in previous wars and conflicts, I mean, it was very mechanical. Now we're in mm-hmm. digital. And we can do things, and yeah. So yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, this is what I love about what, what the teachings of Jesus are all about. Like he says, okay, I'm going to tell you how it's going to go down. He actually mm-hmm. tells his disciples in John chapter 14, I'm going to tell you it's not going to be pretty, but don't let your heart faint. Don't let it be mm-hmm. troubled. And then he makes this point. He says, when you see these things take place, believe. It, it's, it's, it's just, it's always centered back on him. He's, mm-hmm. he's not the architect of this stuff. We've got two kingdoms at war here, uh, spiritual mm-hmm. kingdoms at war, but he's, um, he's giving us the ability to, to see it through. You know, like about Faith FM? Tell me. This radio station is about setting up another kingdom. We are yeah. calling people out of this into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, Absolutely. which is not a kingdom of this world. 
And that's why there's a welcome for Russians and Ukrainians, for Chinese and for Taiwanese, for North Koreans and South Koreans, and for Aussies and Kiwis. We're all welcome <laughs> into this kingdom. Nice. Even Americans. Yeah, we love the Americans. <laughs> I've got a question. Anyway. Hunty's got some questions. I do have some questions. It's time yeah. for Ask the Aussie Pastor. And I'm, I'm glad to have you on board for this, Robbie. Because uh, Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed, our last, yeah. I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the last time we did this. Some of these might be curly. Come on, Hunty. Yeah, here we go. All right, question one. <laughs> question one's a ripper. If Jesus voted, who would he have voted for in, a, in the Australian election on the weekend? I'll yeah. leave that to Robbie. Okay. I was going to say, there you go. There you go, Lloyd. <laughs> Hot potato. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, I'm just going to say no. Okay. Um, I, I think the question was if Jesus voted, but I'm going to say no. Um, I don't think he would vote. And I've got a biblical reason for it. It's not just an opinion. Yep. Um, my reason for Jesus not voting in the Australian election, or any election for that matter, is he seemed to make a point in his in his life and teachings that there are two different realms. There's, there's the God's realm and then there's the, the Caesar's realm or the earthly realm. And uh, a few times he was sort of he was he was sort of boxed into these corners where he had to sort of um, defend logic in a in a Caesar realm, so an earthly realm. And he always managed to do a third option and got out of it completely, and left us going, "Wow, that mm. we didn't see that coming. That was impressive." Like I think of one where they asked about the coin, right? Or they asked, "Should we pay tax to Caesar?" And and Jesus goes, "Show me a coin." And he says, "Whose image is it?" And then. They say Caesar's, and he says, "Well, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and render to God what is God's." Beautiful. So I think of I, I think of that sort of thing. But there's a particular case in Matthew 17 where, um, I think it was Peter. Um, Jesus is talking to Peter. I think it's about 20, verse 25, somewhere around there. And Jesus makes this point. He says, um, "Who do the kings of the earth take a toll or a tribute from? Uh, from the children or from others?" And Peter says, "From others." And Jesus responds, then the children are free. However, so that we do not give offense to them, go to the sea, cast in a hook and take the first fish that comes out, open its mouth, you'll find a coin, and then go give it for me and for you. And so in the context of the story, they're, they're wanting, the, the priests are wanting Jesus to pay tax, a temple tax, a coin to the temple. And you'd think that'd be okay, right? I mean, he's, he's, he set up the temple system, I mean, not the, versions that were in his day, but the essence of the system he set up um, in the Old Testament. And so he comes along and he's not even going to pay this tax. So what I'm trying to get at is I don't think Jesus would be, if he was working, walking on the earth today, he wouldn't be involved in elections and human things because he's beyond that. And for him to submit to that shows that he's not actually who he is. So it might be a cop-out answer because um, I'm sure the Labor voters wanted me to say he'd vote for Labor and the Liberals <laughs> want me to vote for Liberal and uh, the Greens and so on and then the Teals and all that business. But I don't think Jesus would have, um, just looking at the pattern of his interaction between the earthly and the spiritual. Yeah, I like that. What do you think, Lloyd? Oh, I, I tend to agree. I, I, it's kind of, I, I preempted this question with what I've said, but I didn't realise. But I don't think Jesus came to uh, set up kingdoms on this planet. I think he's come to set up his own kingdom, which is not of this world. He's calling people out and into eternity. The least of his worries was what was going on in the politics of the day. That's that's my view. And I, I think there's a bit of an example in that for us, Robbie, which is not always easy for me to do. Yeah. I'm a man of passion and right and wrong, and sometimes it's easy for us as Christians to get heavily involved in politics. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have 
and um, Christian politicians either. But I'm just saying we need to keep focus on the fact that our job is to call people as Christians to call people to Christ and to prepare for his coming, which is soon, and not to get too engaged in the heat of the politics of the day. That's my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... So Jesus, I, I don't think Jesus would have voted, yeah. Jesus seems to indicate that at, right at the end, right, when they said, um, my kingdom is not of this... He said, my kingdom yeah. is not of this world. I mean, he, he was he was right out there in the open with that sort of teaching. Yeah. So. I yeah. was going to let the second part of this question go, but I think I might raise it. Because it says, should Christians vote? I mean, there are laws in this country that require everyone to vote. What are your thoughts? Maybe, Robbie? Yeah, look, I, this is, this is a, I think this comes down to a personal conviction yep. of whether, I mean, I, as a church, I don't think we should have like these mandates where we say all of our adherers to any particular faith should be doing this or doing that. Yep. It comes down to your conviction with God. But look, I'll, I'll be honest, I vote. Um, I'm a Christian. I call myself a follower of Jesus. I vote. Um, but however, I, I'm not loyal to an individual party. Um, I'm not a member of any political party. I sort of, because as you said, Hunty, the law of the land here is, is that we are required to vote. I do know some other Christians that have taken the option to request for a religious exemption and that's their conviction. Yep. For me, I, I think if I'm going to have a voice and try and, um, complain about if I'm going to whinge and whine about politicians and parties and things like that, at least I'm going to have the ability to say, well, at least I, I put my yep. my vote in, you know? Very good. So, And I, I know that there are people that will disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, I don't have a problem with voting. Um, I vote for who I think represents best what I believe is the policies that should be uplifted in the land. And you know what? Um, very rarely do they win. <laughs> sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But anyway... I, I, at least if I get in the argument and I debate it, at least I can say I voted. Because if, you, if you're not voting and you're going to get in there and whinge and whine and complain, well, yep. you didn't have your say. So. That's it. But anyway, look, I don't, I, don't, I don't get against anybody as Christian who says I don't think they should vote. That's fine. Yep. Whatever your conviction is. All right, moving on. I, I, I vote. No, not moving on. I vote. I've always voted. Um, my grandfather fought on the Kokoda track. He wasn't a Christian as such. He went up there and fought the Japanese for the freedom of Australia. Um, and I, I've always voted, and I take my vote very seriously, and I check out who I'm voting for and what they represent. And I'm not tied to a party either. Yeah. I move, I move my vote around a bit. Yep. But I do vote to someone I think is going to represent best the values that I have. But I think if you don't want to vote, it's the same thing. You don't have to. You can. And even though the law in Australia says you've got, it, does, it actually doesn't say you've got to vote. It says you do have to vote, but it doesn't say you've got to vote for somebody. So if you really feel offended by that, all you've got to do is go up, put your name down as having voted, go into the voting, and you don't have to. You can go do a donkey vote. You don't have True. to vote if you don't True. want to. Yeah. So the rule, the law in Australia doesn't make you vote. It just says you've got to turn up. Get your yep. name ticked off. And look, the good thing these days is I can, like, I, I used to, before I was a Christian, I'd vote in the, on the, on the day, right? But, um, as a Christian now, I, I, I'm mostly at church on Saturdays, so I don't yeah. go to the actual booths, but there's plenty of other options to vote. I mean, I, I have always get almost postal votes or whatever, pre-polling votes. Yep. So it's, it's not necessarily in that space either that I can't go because it violates my, my worship day or anything like that. Mm. But yeah, anyway, okay, that's also that question. <laughs> Moving right along. Is the Battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation, is it literal? Oh, there are many a paper on this one. We've got you on here for a reason today, Robbie. Yeah, we've got some hard ones. <laughs> Look, I, I've studied Revelation 
for a, a pretty long time now. I've, I've done a couple of degrees and things. And what I've learned from all of this is that no one has an absolute definitive position on some of these areas in prophecy, particularly Armageddon as well. In Revelation, there are some things that are still unfolding and they sort of, they become clearer as it unfolds. Um, there are obviously big, big picture principles. So all of that preamble was to say this. Me personally, at this point in time, I'm not dogmatic. I'm happy to be enlightened and corrected, but I don't believe it's literal. I, I sort of see it as symbolic. And I have, I have some reasons for that. Um, if you want to argue with me, sure. No problem. This is not dogmatic. It's not the position of any particular church. It's just my, my view as a Bible student over the years. I, I seem to think it's more of a symbolic thing than a literal thing. And that's because of the context in which it's written. There's a whole bunch of symbolic stuff before it and after it. And if we're going to say that the stuff in the middle is literal, then we need to be consistent and say the stuff above it is literal and the stuff after it's little literal. And so you kind of, yeah. Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. You've got to be careful in the book of Revelation. If it's symbolic, it's symbolic. Yes. And, and there's plenty there's, of symbols in Revelation that are not literal. And almost, we have no problem with them being symbolic. Yeah, almost the entire book is symbolic. Now, it is symbolic often of literal things. Yeah. But I think the reality is you've got to start. If, if, if you're going to study Revelation, as I understand it, and it is symbolic, you've got to come at it probably from that angle to start off with anyway. Because like um, if, in Revelation, a lot of the times the numbers um, can be a literal thing, like there are seven but then the thing attached to it are churches, and those churches can be there as symbolic of time periods. That's right. Um, yeah, so I, to me, and again, it's, I'm happy to always learn with this stuff. I'm a, I'm a continual Bible student in prophecy, but I would say from my my background, I look at it as a symbolic event, not a literal, um, pro- primarily because there is no such place. I mean, there's people that argue that this is the case in this this, this valley in um, the Middle East, but it's actually not, not the same name. It's not the same no, name. It's different. It's not. So either either Jesus sort of got it wrong or John got it wrong and they sort of meant this other place or it is actually representative of something else that combines those stories together, which is what Revelation is very good at. It's good at combining imagery from Old Testament stuff. Like you had Lylon before to went Revelation 13. There's a particular verse there in verse 13 of chapter 13 that talks about fire coming down from heaven and it mm-hmm. deceives the people. Well, that's imagery taken directly out of the stories of Elisha. Mm-hmm. In, in the Old Testament. So the Revelation, like there's a 404 verses in this book and um, 60% of it is an allusion to or direct referencing from Old Testament. And so, yeah, to me it's symbolic. Which is why you should do this. You should get online and do this prophecy course because it will unlock a lot of these things. And one of the secrets to understanding Revelation is that the keys all come, almost all of them come from the Old Testament. Yeah. That's how you actually understand it. Yeah, I got hunting. I'm thinking I might just jump down to the last question. What do you no, think? No, keep, keep no, going, bro. Keep going. All right, let me end this one at you then, Lloyd. What did Paul mean when he said women should be quiet in church? Oh, you, you would hate that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he offered to jump. <laughs> I know. I'm wishing he had of now. Oh, look, there are, again, there are different interpretations of that. Uh, some people say that was a blanket ban on women, and yet Paul in other places has and is worshipping with women who are speaking up. Um, I think I think of Phoebe and some of those others in the New Testament. hope I'm getting this right. Um, so I don't think there's a problem with women speaking up in the church. Probably in that instance there might have been 
in that particular church a problem. Um, right. That's where I, that's where I'm going on that. I think it was a localized problem, Robbie. But I do I do get that that can cause some stress uh, and anxiety, especially among women who called get who feel called to teach or preach in the church. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, uh, it without knowing the context of the question, how it's being asked, it's hard, it's hard to have a direct specific answer because there's a, there's a few different places in the New Testament where Paul uh, makes uh, allusions to this point, and they're sort of different classes of situation, different context situation. If if this is where, like, if it's about when women should be quiet in church, then it's probably from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. And if you just listen to the verse, it says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but let but they are to be submissive. And then it says this, as the law also says. Uh-huh. So if it's if it's that one, like, women should be quiet in church, because there's another passage in Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy where he talks about women uh, not permitted to teach, right? That's different to this this verse. So it depends on where the question's coming from. Yep. If it is this one, which is about being quiet in church, Paul gives us the clue. He says, as the law says, and it's not in reference to a biblical law. You can't point to biblical law and, and say, it says in such and such a verse that you're not supposed to speak. But there was a cultural perspective on that day, in that day, where, yeah, like... <laughs> I think I think everyone understands that at some point women were considered to be sort of sit in the back room and and be seen but not talk sort of thing, and we're talking to the church in Corinth here in, in First Corinthians, and most theologians refer to this as the Book of Corrections because he's correcting all the problems in the church. Yep, and this is being a part of that. I think there's unruliness in the earlier part of the chapter and letting things be done orderly in the latter part of the chapter. In the middle is this sort of this this statement. So I don't think it's a blanket statement for all time and all culture. I think it's very specific to the situation yep. taking place in Corinth at that time. So Excellent. if you're not living in Corinth during the times of like the first century, then it's probably not as relevant for you as you might think. Thank you, listener. That was a good question. And the last question for this afternoon is, why does it matter if I choose to believe that when I die by grace, I go to heaven? Um, okay. um, I don't understand wanna- the question. Hmm. I think basically what they're saying is, if I die, does it matter whether I believe I go to heaven or whether I sleep? Uh-huh. I think that's what that's saying. Yep. Yeah, that's how I understand the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it does. Um, I think you open yourself up to all sorts of dangers um, if you don't accept the biblical narrative that when you die, you sleep. And the Bible's pretty consistent from Genesis through to Revelation. Um that when you die, you do sleep. And, I mean, you can go to um, some very telling passages. Even Jesus himself who made it very clear that at death you sleep until Jesus comes the second time. And so I think uh, if you were to go down another road to that, I think you could get in some difficulties. You might want to talk more to that, Robbie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I, I would say this. Like the question is obviously asked out of sincerity. Like what, what does it matter? If when I die, I go to heaven. Look, and to be honest, if you think about this from an experiment, experiment, what's the word I'm looking for? Experiential. Experiential point of view. If we die and whether we sleep, I mean, the Bible's clear. We sleep, right? We sleep the sleep of death, right? As you said, Lloyd. The next thing you're going to know when you wake up is resurrection. But from the Bible's perspective, that resurrection's on earth. You're not going to be waking up in heaven, right? Mm-hmm. So there is no 
if you do die and, and like, as the common belief is you go straight to heaven, that's not going to be the case. And so here's what I say respectfully to whoever asked the question. I'm not going to say what I'm going to say now to offend or to abruptly hurt anybody, but I'll say it this way. Why does it matter? Because it's a lie. All right. And I'll tell you why it's a lie. In, in uh, John 6, verse 40, this is what Jesus said. He said, this is the will of him who sent me, talking about the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the mm. last day. Mm. So why does it matter what I believe if I end up in heaven? Look, the reality is there'll be people who will be in uh, salvation and resurrect and stuff who didn't understand what Jesus had taught in the Bible. They believed that they're going to go to heaven or go to hell, but that's going to happen. No question about it. But it's a lie. So why, why does it matter? Because I don't want to believe a lie. That's, that's my, my, uh, my take on it. I don't want to believe a lie. I want to know truth. And so I've had to change things that I, be- I didn't believe and the things that I thought I believed and, and had to change to come in harmony with the following and teachings of Jesus as I have been on this journey. So it does matter to me. Well, Jesus, I think too. I actually want to just read this too from scripture because it is so clear. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5, for the living know they'll die, but the dead know nothing. Yep. They have no further reward and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their jealousy have long since vanished. And then you go to verse 10, even clearer. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For in the realm of the dead where you're going, there is no working nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Then you go to First Thessalonians 4, uh, Robbie, you've got a resurrection of the dead, 16, 17, where Paul actually says, and the, Thess- the Thessalonians are dying and they're, they're kind of freaking out because this is a new church. And Paul writes a letter to him and says, in verse chapter 4, verse 16, 17, 18, he says, hey, oh, from verse 15 actually onwards, he's saying, stop worrying. Uh, if you die, you'll sleep. But Jesus will come back and he will wake you up. I think especially in a world where the occult and the supernatural is becoming more and more prevalent, I think there's some real dangers in believing that your loved ones have gone to heaven and are alive and are breathing and living. living. Because if they had it, they could actually come back and visit you if if the Lord allowed, Robbie. You open yourself up for deception. If you believe a lie, then you're opening yourself up for deception. A whole heap of deceptions. Yeah. Because like like you said, if, if I... If I have this belief, contrary to what the Bible teaches, that someone goes straight to heaven, then that someone could come back and communicate anything based on the fact that uh, I've been to heaven and guess what? Uh, you got it all wrong. There's, there's, five, there's five parts of the Godhead or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. And because you have this, this – it's like, look, it's, this is nothing new. It started in Genesis 3 when, when the snake shows up. He tells Eve, which is Satan working through the medium of the snake, tells, tells the woman, he says, you're not going to surely die. God said you will die, but you won't surely die. And that's been the battle since the beginning. And some people have subscribed to that deception and have had to pay the consequences for it, and others have rejected it. And, um, yeah, it is what it is. It can be very challenging, though. If you've lived your whole life and you believe that when you die, you love the Lord through grace, you go straight to heaven. It can be very challenging to all of a sudden come to grips with the fact that, that when you die, you actually sleep. Yeah. I, I like the story of Lazarus where... Yeah. Jesus goes to heal Lazarus, and he healed. We've been there, hunting. Yep. We actually climbed. Have you been there where Lazarus was healed, Robbie? No. In Bethany? Incredible. We climbed down into the tomb, Yep. way deep down underground. And Jesus heals him while he'd been in the tomb three or four days. Yep. Imagine if you were Lazarus. When I say Jesus healed him, Jesus resurrected him from the dead. 
if Lazarus had died, who loved Jesus and gone to heaven, then it, Jesus resurrects him and brings him back down to earth with all that. <laughs> You know, the crime and the squalor and the difficulties of life in Jerusalem, which was coming to an end not long after Jesus had gone back to heaven. I mean, Jerusalem, which is in, which was in a fervor and a ferment, you'd feel fairly ripped off, wouldn't you? For sure. Totally. You mean you brought back to the Pharisees? I was up there worshipping God, playing my harp, yeah. and now the Pharisees are back in my face? <laughs> yep. Because they, they tried to kill him. I mean, the Pharisees were trying yeah. to kill him since he was resurrected. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's it's just... It is challenging, but we do need to go by what the Bible says and what the Bible says alone. It's very, very clear that when you die, you sleep. But you, praise God, you'll be resurrected. I think as Robbie or Hunt, he said, the sleep is instant. You, for us, it's, it, for us who die, you'll close your eyes in death. The next thing you know, Jesus is coming. That's it. It's pretty quick. Alrighty, let me let me wind this segment up because my run sheet now looks like a huge work of fiction. But thank you, Robbie. Stick around because we got Robbie back after this next song. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I was about to say we've had another sting, but that one is certainly yes, in the program. on the run sheet on my work of fiction. Let's get straight into the song yes. Ten Thousand Reasons." Ten thousand reasons to follow Jesus, and you still haven't ticked them all off. Thanks. <laughs> To sing your song again Whatever may pass And whatever lies before me Let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul Oh my soul I worship Him Ten thousand years and then 
Shanti. Yep. Um, remember when we first sang that song at New Hope? I do. It was a very special day. It was after those two young guys had been executed in yep. Indonesia yep. for running drugs. Correct. And they actually were, were they singing that song? This is the song they were singing facing the firing squad. Yeah. And yeah. Mm. Very sobering. And we sang it the week after they were shot. We did. Um, and it was a good story. It was a sad story, but it was good to know how those guys in that jail over there in Indonesia in Bali found Jesus. True. And went to, now, um, there's pretty big, my wife's Indonesian. Whenever I go there, the signs are pretty big when you go into Indonesia. Yep. Into Indonesia. Yep. Don't, don't do drugs. Death don't, to drug don't traffic judge. Mm. Um, they mm. warn you. Yep. Um, but those boys, they went over there. They trafficked drugs. They got caught. They were executed, but at least they found Jesus. And as we've been talking about just in the past there, they're sleeping, waiting to hear the call of the Lord. For sure. Not long. Hey, Robert, you still there? I am. I wanted to talk to you a bit about Jesus today. Is that all right? Anytime, um, Lloyd. Yeah. It's a good subject, talking. We talked, I talked to, um, Hensley Gungadu last week about Jesus. We're doing a little series where we're, we're trying to find out different things about Jesus on this radio program to introduce him to our Australian brothers and sisters. And I thought I'd ask you a few questions because how long have you been following Jesus again? Um, it was 2001 or beginning of 2002. So you've been a believer for 20 years? Yeah, but yeah, just over 20 years now. Would you say you know him pretty well? I would say I know him 20 years better than I knew him 20 years ago, but still 20 years further to go. Awesome. Are you learning stuff about Jesus all the time from you know, Jesus? Yes. I, I actually, this this morning, I've been reading one of his parables. It's a one-verse parable, and I, uh, I spent probably about 30, 40 minutes just trying to digest what he said in one verse, and I still don't feel like I've got it. His wisdom was pretty incredible, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I love that story you're telling about where the Pharisees wanted him to pay tax. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're asking, well, they're trying to trap him with Caesar, you know, and he, he just pulls a, he just goes and, and gets a, a coin and says, look at whose face is on it. They say, well. When I was, a, when I, was I used to be a programmer, and when I yep. first read the Bible and read that story, yep. I went, this guy, I mean, it's like, I actually got excited when I read it because, mm. Yeah. In in the real world, we always have these almost binary options. It's like it's either this or it's either this. Yes. And Jesus had a way of always creating a third option, yes. which was always the right option. That which no one think. saw. No, yeah, one, no saw. one saw it. Yeah. So it was really fascinating from a programming point of view because it's like you always face these binary options and it's like, no, there's a third option. It must have been pretty incredible to sit down and actually listen to Jesus teach. Um, I would have loved to have done that. I think I would swap my life now to have been able to live when Jesus did and to actually have been able to listen at his feet to him teach. Look, whether or not I was follow, chosen as a disciple, I'd follow him around anyway, Robbie. I'd I like to think I would. Him. I'd like to think I would. You would. You know how I know you would? Because I follow because him Because you now. are now. Yeah. <laughs> if, you follow, if you're following him now, you would have followed him then. A lot of people say to me, oh, if I'd been back then, I hope I would have followed him then. I said, well, do you follow him now? Yeah. Well, if you follow him now, you would have followed him then. That makes sense. Okay, mate. Um, what do you say to those who consider Jesus just to be a good man? Because I hear that a lot here in yeah. Australia. I hear that a lot. Yeah, Jesus, he was a really good man. Yeah, I hear, I've heard that a lot too. And yeah. look, 
when I first became a Christian, or not became a Christian, when I first started exploring teachings of Jesus, um, I kind of I had that sort of premise that Jesus is a okay. Let's let's give him the title of a Gandhi or, or a mother. I was about to say that. You know? Yeah, yeah. They see him as a Gandhi. Yeah, but yeah. let's not go down the path of being ridiculous and saying that he's God in yeah. the flesh. You know. Yeah. Um, look, people who say that I've had that conversation a lot over the years. You've you can only say that you can only you can only think that Jesus was just, and that's the important word, just. Because he was a good man. There's no question about that. But the word just a good man, um, that's where you run into problems. Because by saying that to me, as someone who's spent a lot of time studying the teachings of Jesus and trying to live according to them, you haven't read his teachings. Because if you think that Jesus was just a good man and don't believe the rest of the story, then you've got a what in the theological realm is called a trilemma. It's not a dilemma. Dilemma is when you've got two options. And it's always the thing with the one before, two options versus yeah. three options. You have a trilemma. And the trilemma is, is that if Jesus is a good man, you, and you look at what he actually taught, you have to conclude that Jesus was either a crazy person, because he said some stuff that's just crazy, if he was just a man, a good man, yeah. um, or he was, um, really what he said he was, the Lord, or, he was some kind of, um, well, devil. He was just, he was, he was a really evil person because he made, the reason I say that is if people don't know, if they haven't looked at his teachings, Jesus made things like this in his statements like this. In John 10 31, he said, I and the Father are one. Mm. So he's claiming to be one with God. So if he's just a good man and he's not really that, then he's a liar. Um, he says in, in John 10, he says that I, I'll forgive the sins. The Pharisees said, no, 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 no. You can't forgive sins. You're a man. We're going to, you know, this blasphemy. We're going to stone you. So Jesus can't be a good man and then claim to forgive sins because then he's not a good man. He's a liar, right? Or he's crazy. Um, in John 14, he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If he's just a good man, then he's either a liar or he's a lunatic. So there's a famous um, Christian author called C.S. Lewis, mm. and he, he he took this trilemma and turned it into basically a proposition to argue his case that Jesus must be either the Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. Well, and, yeah, go on, go on, sorry. Go ahead, go. I was going to say, well, if we, if we look at that then, who does Jesus, who does the Bible, who does Jesus say he actually was? He claims he's the Lord. What does that mean? It, well, okay, yeah, good question. In the context of, of the narrative of his story, yep. claiming to be the Lord is the claim that he is the son of God or that he is God in the flesh and he's here on a mission of salvation. That's, I mean, in a broad sense, that's what that Lord thing means. So Jesus' claim is that he is God in the flesh. So either his claim is, in fact, true, making him the Lord, or he's crazy, the lunatic, or he's just a liar. Like he, if he, he's crazy because he believes it. That's what the craziness mm. means, right? Someone walking around going, I'm Jesus. And I met them. I've met people on the subway mm-hmm. in, in the US who actually thought that they were Jesus. They were nutters. Yeah. Yeah. So they're lunatics or they're just flat out liars. They know they're not, but they're just trying to yeah. you know, do swindling. So when you look at the, the teachings of Jesus, you can't go, he's just a good man. You have to, you, you're forced into choosing from one of three options based on what he said. He's either what he says he was. God in the flesh. He's either crazy because he believed he was God in the flesh, but he wasn't because everything else proved the opposite. 
or he's just a, a swindler. He's a liar. So that's really the three options you get. Mm. So you, you can't just land at this point. Oh, no, look, I'm happy. Look, you have Jesus how you want to believe him. For me, he's just a good man. He's a good moral teacher, as some people say. He can't be a moral teacher if he's a liar. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no doubt in the Bible he claims he's God. Absolutely. I mean, he's having a discussion there with the people. And they, who, who, who am I? And he makes the same claims for himself as God the Father did in the Old Testament. Jesus says, I am. I mean, the Pharisees tried to kill him for saying that. I am. Yes. That, that's the ultimate statement. Who are you, Jesus? I am. What is he saying? I am God. That's what he's Look, actually saying. The, the people in Jesus' day understood very clearly that Jesus was claiming to be God. They understood it because they tried to kill him for it. In fact, that's what their ultimate claim for killing him was. So it's not like, oh, they just didn't understand him and now we just see him as a good moral teacher. You don't have that luxury. If you do that, you're disregarding what he actually taught. Well, let's dig in this, let's dig into this a little deeper and, and perhaps look at this claim of Jesus that he was God. Um, if he's God, let's Mm -hmm. look at this. Let's, let's look at the if he was God. If he was God, why then? When he was here on earth, over and over, was he subservient, less, or subject to the Father? Yeah, look, this this is something that people struggle with when they read Jesus' teachings. Mm. Um, because you have you have these statements where, like, in, I think it's in John chapter 14. Like, anything in John sort of, John really takes the angle of Jesus as God, as yeah. God on earth. So it, John's full of these sorts of statements. Jesus makes this point in verse 28 where he says, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to my father for my father is greater than I. So it would seem if you took that, that sentence, you'd go, wait a minute. Jesus is less than God. But then if you look in John, a lot of people do take it like that too. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. But if you look at John chapter 10, verse 31, Jesus says, I and the father are one. Yep. So how can Jesus be one with the father or equal with the father? But at the same time, say that the Father is greater than him. And all the way through his his ministry, his three and a half years of teaching, he would say things like, I'm doing the will of my Father. The Father has given me this. I obey the command of the Father. So it, it seems like Jesus is subservient or lower than or in subject to the Father. But then in other times, he makes these statements that put him equal with the Father. And if you're just reading that at a glance, it's you wouldn't be, you know, no one's going to go, oh, you're dumb because you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Because realistically, you have to understand the story. And this is some of the problems that I find as people, they pick up the Bible, they have a haphazard reading, and they point to a text and go, ah, doesn't make sense, throw it out. You've got to understand something. The Bible is the most complicated story ever, ever revealed to humanity. But at the same time, it's also the simplest story. A, a baby, or not a baby, like a, like a two-year-old can understand the story at its like level, uh, most, most lowest level. And then theologians at their highest level are still struggling with the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, like, the big picture of the story paints this 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 narrative. In fact, you know Jordan Peterson, right? The psychologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he came out in a lecture a couple of months ago. I, I love this guy. I mean, I don't agree with everything mm. he says, but he, he's he's not a Christian. But I think he's going to be a Christian soon. He he, he actually he actually when he's asked that he won't deny he's a Christian. He won't say he's a Christian either. Yeah, he's a bit cagey on that. Yeah, which, which you're probably right because if you are a Christian and a follower of Christ and a believer, you'd just come straight out and say it, wouldn't you? He he. So he's on a journey. Yeah, on a journey for sure. And he, yeah. like some of his lectures that he gives as an academic of the Bible, because he talks about morals and ethics and things like that, right? 
from the Bible's perspective, some of his stuff is better than some of the sermons that I've heard in our, like in, in the Christian church being preached. It's pretty yeah, yeah. profound because he's looking at it from a different set of eyes. Anyway, getting sidetracked here. His point was when he looks at the Bible, he sees the first hyperlinked document. So like when we introduced the internet, we had these hyperlinks where you can link from one section to another section, another section, mm-hmm. and then back, back links and things like that. He, he makes an observation that the Bible is the first hyperlinked document in the history of humanity. Because if you look at one section of the Bible, it's explained or referenced to another part of the Bible. And the, so, and like if you look at the New Testament, it's like we said in Revelation before, 60% of the book of Revelation is referencing or hyperlinking yeah. back to the Old Testament. And so what's interesting, he says, he says, this is a book that can't exist without itself. It's a self-existent book because you can't have claims that aren't substantiated without the hyperlinks. And he has this graph. You can Google it called the hyperlinked, um, the Bible hyperlinked document, something like that. It's amazing graphic. You should go Google it. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It just shows this linear timeline with all the references in the Bible and then hyperlinks back and forth like little rainbows. It's incredible. Anyway, here's my point. This is the story we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. And picking on one little section of the book of the story and going, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. You've just thrown out the most, the most complex, amazing, self-evident document in the history of humanity. So what's my point? The point is Jesus is subservient to the Father in the context of what we call the incarnation, which is a fancy word for being human or becoming human. And um, I think the best text that sort of will help us understand this is found in in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul makes this point. In fact, let me just try and pull it up in my Bible here. You want me to read it? I've got it right here. I was going to quote it. Yeah, if you've got it, read that for us. Um, You you must have the same attitude as Christ. Though he was God, we're in, I'm in, oh, I'm in, uh, just a second. I'm not in Philippians. I'm in, yeah, Philippians 2, verse 6. I started no, he was, yeah, you, do you, do you want to read it? Ah, all right. So verse five says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Verse six, who being in the form of God. So this is interesting. Paul uses this word. He's in the form. So Jesus yeah. is in the form of God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So very clearly, Jesus and God are the equal. They're the same level, right? Like we saw Jesus say, I'm the father of one. But then can, I read, can I read that in this version before you go on? Yeah, go for it. Who being in the very nature God, yep. did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Go on. Yep. Hmm. Verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of human or humanity. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Now, who did he humble himself to? He humbled himself to what we would call the Father God, right? So he humbles himself. And now this this only takes place, though, in what we call the incarnation, when he becomes human. He's found in the appearance of man. He's formed as a man. Then he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. So this incarnation is really where we see this play out. So, yes, Jesus is 100% equal with God because he is God. But in the incarnation, so as human, he takes the role of humanity by submitting himself to God. And I think it's pretty, like, it's, it's a super amazing story. When you delve into it, you spend, I mean, I'm spending 20 years studying this stuff, and I'm still, like, amazed every time I look at it. He's fully, hey, Robbie, fully divine. Verse 9, 10, and 11 has God putting him back in his right place. 
I was going to thought we didn't have time, but go ahead. No, no, no. Well, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. This is God. You don't bow to anybody but God in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every time acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So there you've got, he, he, he comes down to earth, he becomes a human being, he submits himself. The Bible says he's actually, I think it's in Hebrews, made lower than, a little lower the than angels. the angels. Hebrews yeah. 9, yeah. So he becomes a human. He comes down and he saves us, but when he goes back up into heaven, he's put back up on the throne Absolutely. and he's exalted again as the high, as Yahweh. The God. And that's why you've got Jesus in the New Testament. Every name for God in the Old Testament applies to Jesus in the New Testament. It's a fascinating study to go through and see the names of Jesus in the New Testament compared to the names of God in the Old Testament. It, it's, it, this is Jesus is God in human form walking around on the earth. But he's, and, and in some sense, would I be right in saying, Robbie, in submitting himself to God the Father, he was actually putting himself in our place and showing us how to have a relationship with God. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, if I, was, I always picture this stuff graphically, right? Because I'm a bit of a yeah. visual space sort of person. Yeah. If you imagine a, like a horizontal line, like a, a, on the top of a page or something, and that that line sort of symbolically represents the continuity of God, the Godness, the Godhead, whatever you want to refer to it as. Some people want to call it the Trinity. I call it the Godhead. This this continuity of God, and no beginning, no end. And then at some point in time. You sort of see it, uh, the line continues, but you see uh, uh, that line come down as well as like a detour into our time and space as humans. Mm, mm, and then, then it goes back up again. And like yeah. exactly what you said, he, he humbles himself. It comes down to our time and space. He exists down here for that, for that 33 years or so. And then what's the last thing Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28? He says, all power in heaven and earth and all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. So he's having it restored back to him what he gave up when he humbled himself That's and came it. down. And when he go, he goes back up. Now here's the thing: it's like you've got you've got five seconds, and our time's out. Oh, it's like a stitch. <laughs> yeah. It's like a stitch. He's been he's he came down and stitched us into the heaven story. I love it. Hey, we've got to come back and finish this conversation. Hunty, you thought yes. I'd forgotten the time, didn't you? No, no, I thought, well, let's just drop the last of the two songs and keep going. <laughs> okay, well, we've run out of time. Thanks, Robbie, for coming. I really uh, appreciate the, it. The study of Jesus is amazing. I'm going to talk about how you can find out more about Jesus after this song from Fountain View Academy. You got that one? Oh, up, I've got it ready to roll. Yeah, no more night. This is an Adventist Academy in Canada. They put out the most beautiful music. Thanks, Hunty. I stumbled and fell Evil is banished To eternal hell 